Hello and welcome to the Winners Never Quit podcast. Start your week the right way with a laugh, a dose of motivation, and listen to the stories of our amazing guests. Learn from their experience and how they have built a winner's mindset. Hosted by myself, Jack Jarvis, and if you could like, follow, or subscribe to the podcast, I would really, really appreciate it. Today, I am joined by fellow ocean rower and adventurer, Mitch Hutchcraft. Mitch rode across the Atlantic the same year as myself, rowing from Gran Canaria to Barbados, cycled across America, and is currently planning the world's longest triathlon. And he joins me now. Mitch, how the hell are you doing, mate? Good, mate. How are you? Yeah, very good, mate. Happy we finally managed to get set up and uh, you've managed to work out your mic. (laughs) Yeah, it took a while. Took we'll, a while. We'll, we'll probably have a few cock-ups between now and then, mate, but that's fine. <laughs> we, uh, I'm sure we will, but don't worry, mate. It's um, it's going to be good. I've been looking forward to doing this, and I start every podcast the same, mate. So how do you define winning in your life? I guess it's more just of a mindset. Um, is how you approach things, how you, how you tackle any problems you have, whether it's physical, mental, and that kind of stuff. It doesn't have to be big. It's just how you how you approach things and how you get back up once you've been knocked down, basically, I think. I'm pretty sure I heard that line in Rocky, no? Yeah. Yeah, sounds pretty yeah. good. Yeah, yeah I, I it, nearly it, caught you the whole thing, but I thought, you know. <laughs> yeah, but yeah. Mate, what's your favourite Rocky film, just out of interest? Oh, about a f- doubt, number four. Yes, it is, yeah, mate. Yeah, dry, oh, mate. Yeah. Unreal, yeah, mate. Yeah. Unreal. He's but he's trading that. in the snow. Yeah, you Class. can't do that. Yeah, With yeah. the cart in that, mate, is the best one. Yeah, unreal, unreal. So, mate, tell us about your childhood. Because something I didn't say in your intro, mate, you're an ex-Royal Marine as yeah, well. Yeah. So tell us about your childhood, uh, you growing up and then joining the Marines. Um, yeah, really quite childhood, really, really lucky. Um, grew up in like Cambridgeshire, so like the east of England. And um, ever since I was a kid, I just loved being outdoors, you know, just constantly outdoors, building dens as you do. Yeah, we're all like that as kids. Um, never wanted to stay in, you know, hardly ever played any games in my life, like, you know, computer games. Just always out and about. Um, quite sheltered, yeah, it was pretty nice and chilled out. Um, moved about quite a lot, which is not not the military or anything like that, because that wasn't until later. But um, just moved around loads within the area we were in. And then uh, when I was about twelve years old, we moved to Cyprus. So I actually ended up being lucky enough to grow up over over there for three uh, years. How come you moved to Cyprus? Just really random. One day we just moved, went out for a holiday, and my dad was like, "I hope you liked it," because um, we're moving there in two weeks. And I was like, "Okay, great." So most of my secondary school life was out there learning Greek. You know, like just kind of living the life which was quite nice a bit random but um yeah that is a bit yeah. random but cool though yeah but in the back of my mind I always like, had the military in my mind and stuff um because we had like you know the base down the road and things like that but um but yeah but that ended up ended it I came back when I was 16 finished to finish school which was a bit stupid coming back halfway through GCSEs and having to redo everything um but yeah came back then and then from there um had a bit of a it rolled on to a bit of a rand- random education after that, I'm not going to lie. <laughs> so I finished school and then I ended up doing um, zoology, which kind of ties into why I'm doing this big expedition later, which we'll hear about. Um, I've done zoology, um, an animal care course, worked in zoos, worked with animals. Um, Fancied yourself as a bit of a David Attenborough, yeah? Yeah, Steve Owen. Steve, Steve, ah, Steve kind of, Owen, yeah, Steve yeah, Owen's yeah. A legend. little um, bit cooler. Yeah, Steve Actual. Mate, I still remember legend. when he died. Like, oh, I was oh. heartbroken. Don't. It's one of the few people I've cried about. <laughs> Him and Robin Williams were probably the only two that I actually got very upset about. Yeah, yeah. Um, but no, yeah, great. Obviously, 
loads of other legends growing up, like Steve Backshaw and stuff like that, David Attenborough. But yeah, I'd say that's a massive passion of mine, which I kind of reared off from when I finished that, because instead of going onto the animal stuff, I'd done kind of fitness, things like that, but then moved to Australia when I was around 20. And um, that, that took a bit of a U-turn. I was meant to be there a couple of years, and then my dad got really ill, unfortunately. And within a week, I was back home, and he'd passed away. And then that's when I was sat there thinking... It's about time to think about my life, really. <laughs> I always spoke about the dream of joining the military and the Royal Marines, which is, you know, in my mind was always the one I wanted to go for. So, and uh, yeah, I sat there at a the computer within an hour, I applied for it, and then that was it, really. So that's and it. that was back through. in when? What year was that? You joined the Marines? Um, I joined start of sixteen, so it started two thousand fifteen. Two yeah, got oh, back okay. got back from Australia two thousand fourteen. Father passed away then, and then within six months. 2015 had started and then yeah at the end of the year it took a while because it was a bit of a while to get in that was all and uh, yeah kind of just went from there but oh. I wasn't actually even meant to be able to join the military I spent that one on to you yeah go um, on. I got yeah completely tore my knees and up in, in playing football yeah in the UK but luckily but I went to Australia there's a medical care there obviously it's so much better than ours and um, yeah I ended up having surgery and stuff but luckily enough when I came back, there was no record of it on my medical records. So I told them the truth, I had knee surgery, just didn't go into specifics. Yeah, yeah. Because um, I thought there's only one way of knowing if you're going to make it through Royal Marines training is just to give it a go. So but luckily, yeah, got through one go and was lucky enough to make it through the other side. What do they um, call it in Royal Marine training when you go through with your original troop? Like just an original? Yeah. Yeah, yeah original. Yeah, I was very lucky, mate. Just don't get me wrong, there are dozens of lads who are probably even better than me, no better than me that... That didn't that, that didn't make it through original, but that was purely just down to you're the lad that doesn't break your ankle. You know, you're the lad that doesn't get sick. So combination of that and hard work. I was lucky enough. I was like, I'm not my knees not going to last that long, and I can't. You know, I don't want to be here as long as I have to be. So <laughs> any longer than you need lucky. to be. Yeah. So in and out them doors, but yeah, it takes some people. Some people take a long time. What was your time in the Royal Marines like, mate? Um, same as probably most lads would tell you, tough as hell most of the time, and but worth every minute you know part big part of what shapes you mentally and your, gives you that mindset to help you achieve what well, helps me it's definitely helped me achieve what i've come on to do and um, without that it would have been you know you kind of redefines what you know it's possible you know kind of they instill that into you the skills the other practical skills and everything's just yeah great journey obviously the guys are amazing overall like overall everyone's just just the brother the brotherhood's just amazing and i've made a few friends for life you know, and um, even though I wasn't in for too long, five and a half years, it was still worth every second. Where did you spend most of your time? I uh, never left four or five. So oh, okay. straight to Scotland. Oh, bro. Yeah. And yeah, but I wouldn't have had it any other way. Um, yeah. And just living in the mountains every weekend, you know, always out making the most of it and um, had some amazing trips, you know, say great people. What was and, one of your best trips? Um, probably to the United States over there. and uh, What exercise? Uh, tr- it was just, uh, like a black alligator. Black up, like, yeah, well, yeah, yeah, yeah. It was the equivalent, but um, on the on the west coast, so in California. Okay. So that was amazing. Yeah, just training up with training with the U.S. Marines there for all their pre-deployment to go to Iraq. So we've been brought in to get them up to scratch, ready to go across there. So that was pretty cool. Yeah. I was in Mortar by then, so we were just cutting around, <laughs> cutting around the desert in Viking fit, and obviously my mortar, mortar mounted Vikings, and just turning around the desert there. So that was amazing. But um, yeah, great lads. 
amazing time and I thank everyone in there, in there for helping me. Must but, have uh, some good dits from Moors. Uh, certainly do. Nothing that can be put on a <laughs> podcast, that's for sure. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I'll let you leave that to your imagination. Yeah, yeah. I was going to say they've got quite a reputation. But for, being the, for being the best lads. Yeah, for being the best lads, of course. Definitely not 100%. for having the most snags. No. Why did you end up leaving the Marines? Um, just a combination. In fact, it was really, it was just quite a time, you know, as it is. There was not nothing really happening. Not that I don't love every moment of it, but um, obviously promotion is slow. Um, the trips were just the same kind of thing. And I just kind of felt like I needed a new challenge. You know what I mean? Not really sure uh, what it was be, what it would be. But for me, like even beforehand, if, if I was kind of had enough of something, then I just life's too short and I just move on. Yeah. So I didn't go in there knowing necessarily I'd stay in forever. I just obviously go in there with an open mind, which we did. And um, but yeah, I just I just felt it was ready for ready for a new challenge. So so that's why I decided just to give it a crack. Yeah, it is quite frustrating, isn't it, at the minute? Because I can imagine when you went through training, yeah, all your full screws had Afghan experience, yeah. or a large majority of them, yeah. they, and they spun those dits. Yeah. And then you join, and especially for me, I joined in 2010. By the time I got to my unit, it's 2012. There you go. Yeah, it's all over. It's all over. Yeah, I mean, I missed it by two, three years, and it's just the way it is. Obviously, no one, not not going to sit here and. Wish, and wish, wish a war, yeah, yeah, exactly. Because you, you, but you train for something. Obviously, you like to have experienced that. But as I say, it was still amazing. You know, got quite as close to it as you can do in terms of the experiences and the training and the people you meet. So, I'm still thankful for it. It's just, just a time. If we joined me and you had joined twenty years ago, it would have been a different story. Exactly. Yeah, I always it's think if I'd have joined in two thousand, if I'd have been born ten years earlier, exactly. Jesus, Iraq, yeah, Afghanistan, knows, yeah. multiple times. Exactly. And if we, if I had, you know, if it had been fifteen years, ten years before, then it could have been twenty year career. Yeah, you just never know. If we'd have been born then, Afghan, Iraq, all of that good stuff. Um, well, I say good stuff, and it sort of leads me to this point. Like we wouldn't wish for a war. You see all these guys going over to Ukraine, and you're just like, what are you doing? Like it's not a video game no, out there. No, so you got to be careful what you wish for. Hundred percent. Um, so mate, you leave the Marines, and then you go into what and then how did you end up rowing the yeah Atlantic? so that was just, I only left two years ago and um, a bit of a whirlwind since then so I just went into didn't really know what to do but just done, went into the security doing private security here and there because um, I had a friend who gave us a, who gave us a job so I just done the course before I left and uh, lucky enough to be given a lifeline a lifeline by I say great company Black Onyx who I'm working for now they helped out with their own things but um, whilst I was there within the first two months of leaving the Marines and my first two months there uh, a friend of mine who was also been from the Marines, turned around and just said, randomly, how would you feel about rowing across an ocean? So who was that? Like, uh, a mate called Dan Bridget, Dan Northmore. Um, and uh, down at, down in Uxbridge, we were working, like, just a boring job, basically. But he said, how would you feel about that? I was like, sounds great. <laughs> I just love just the idea of it, because I love the ocean, but obviously the idea of, as you know, like being not on your own, but, you know, pretty much isolated from the world, thousands of miles from ocean. I was thinking, that sounds like a good challenge. So um, next week, you know, got put into a group and, Things snowball from there. You you know the guys anyway. You know what happened, and obviously we were both we were both basically coached by the same person, and um, the legend that's Chris Martin. Yeah. And um, yeah, I mean it was not the lead singer of Coldplay. Yes, which I saw you put in your <laughs> in that previous <laughs> one. Yeah. Um, yeah, he's an amazing guy, and yeah, like I say, even though it was a he's just a cool guy, and he like oh, I try and explain, yes. he's almost like unflappable. Yeah, yeah, the, almost too much unflappable. Yeah, <laughs> almost too unflappable. Like, um, but he's an absolute legend, and like it all happened very quick. The other guys had been like obviously had it planned for a long time. I got thrown in the mix. I knew of like a few months planning to do, like you, like no training whatsoever apart from like a few hours in Plymouth, about a week before we left, and uh, yeah, next thing you know, we're out there obviously, and uh, 
yeah, hear about you at the same time, and it's like a bit of motivation. This is crazy guy doing it on his own. At least we've got each other to moan at. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, that was great. That was good fun. I was going to say, what surprised you about Ocean Run that you didn't know when you said yes? Because when I heard about Ocean Run, I was like, yes, I want to do it. Mm. And then yeah, you just find out all these sort of things. But you had a yeah. very different journey to me. I st- yeah, the long took run. me 18, yeah, nearly two years, 18 yeah. months. Logistics so you, and yeah. would have been a lot more. Exactly. So you said yes. And then what were you like? Oh, God. I thought I'd just get in a boat sort of thing. Yeah, it's probably the same. Yeah, as some people do. You just didn't really know what to expect. I don't know. I don't think anyone does no, you, now. You, you can't. can't. Even you know, unless you've done ocean rowing before, you don't know what to expect. You know, you think it's going to be the same as river rowing or something. You know, we actually went and done some training river rowing. Um, and it was like so hard, obviously thin boats, you're wobbling about everywhere. You're thinking, oh God, I'm never going to be able to do this. But then you get on the boat, on them boats and they're big and they're much easier. But then when you're in 30 foot swell, obviously there's no technique. No te- technique's gone out the window anyway. Yeah. So it's just about grizzing it out for as long as you can and hoping for the best. But um, yeah. So you did it as a team of four. Yeah. What was that like? team dynamic wise because like you said it was a team that was sort of just put together yeah uh, I think so how it, did you find that I think in a way it was a good thing because three, three, three out of four of us were still um, obviously uh, were former Marines one wasn't and he was but he was actually the captain all, all the three, who was all, that um, Connor Connor yeah a really legend all four of them all, like Oscar Blur Connor they're all amazing lads and the dynamic was just great we got on straight away and obviously probably couldn't have done it without them they're great lads but um, because we didn't know each other beforehand we actually spoke about it as a bit of a laugh you know that was probably a advantage because if you be, if you went with your best mates or people you've known for years when it got to that point you know when you're over the edge it's very easy to snap at people and, and fall out with people but when you don't know them really well you kind of hold hold your tongue a little bit and then you calm down and you haven't caused an argument mm. so in a way we didn't, like we didn't have a single argument any of us like the entire way across, which was pretty mad. Yeah. I may have opened the hatch and smacked Oscar on the head once, but I don't know. <laughs> That's fair. I mean, we're all, yeah, you know, we're just, you're just so tired and crazy. It's just, you, overall, we were just very, we got on really well. And I think that dynamic was, we're quite lucky to have that. Yeah, yeah so definitely. kind of fell into place. How long did it take you? So just under seven weeks, 48 days. 48 days. Pa- yeah, packed for 50 days. Hope We were hoping for about 42, obviously, because yeah. un- unlike the, like the Talisker race, for example, mm. you know, it's, no, no, no support whatsoever. The, no support vessels. Um, there's no auto helm. Or yeah. Like le- that. So, so yeah, I'll explain. explain that, yeah, yeah, I'll explain. So you were in a Rossiter. Yeah. So a Rossiter yeah. is a the, an older style of boat. Yeah. Bit of an old style. Head head heavier, made of wood. So and as well, the bow cabin is smaller, so it doesn't get as much assistance for the wind. The thing Mitch is talking about there, the auto helm, is an electronic piece of equipment that keeps you on course basically yeah. steers for you i had four on my boat they all ended up breaking so i ended up having a foot out. steer well, there you go yeah so yeah. that's all we did we steer. i we foot steered the entire way i yeah. ended up standing most of the time in a bow actually so a lot of it yeah was you obviously pick a star choose a course you put your foot in the right direction but having to steer that in as you know in them conditions it's just it's hard. tough it's tough. very it's, tough you, you know 12 hours a day at least for you as well but you constantly it's just not in your, your mind the body working it's your mind as well trying to keep that bearing and and it's yeah, it makes it it makes it makes it I guess more rewarding as well. Yeah, you know exactly. You're putting in more work, you know. But yeah, that was alright. What do they always say? The tougher the battles, the sweeter the victory. That's it, mate. And honestly, I've, yeah, that's come. That's that's come. I've come to learn that, and it's so much true. So much truer. Yeah, I would ask what's the high point, but people don't care. They want to know when you suffered. So, what was the toughest part of that row? It's a hard one, really. I'd say probably about four or five days in. Uh, everyone has that little wobble, just a moment when you realise, you know. Um, 
people turn around before and stuff, you know, because they just realise what's ahead of them. I think it was just after about three or four days. Just Have you, I don't know if you've been watching or paying any attention to the Talisker Whiskey Pacific Challenge. Not recently, but I no, mean, that's so, mad. so they've had a team of three turn around yeah, uh, yeah. within the first five yeah, days. That's what I mean. And they just what, I f- what I find mental, and I don't mean to sort of speak to like patronise you here, Mitch, is they've got a Rannoch all the way out to the States and we're talking the West Coast as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. the shipping would have been expensive. They've spent a lot of money. It, it's not a quick evolution. That would have taken them a minimum of 18 months, 12 years out of push, uh, 12 months out yeah, of push yeah, exactly. to just wrap on it, mate. In yeah, yeah, but as you say, people do not, people don't underestimate what, what's ahead of them. Really. Yeah. That's why you need to kind of know what you, not know what you're doing, but speak to people that have done it. You know, that's good. That's what I did before as well. Yeah. Kind of, you, if you know what you're getting yourself into. But then there's a lot of bullshit merchants, mate, as well. Oh, I mate, always find like, people will go, oh, it's the fucking most impossible thing yeah. ever. Like, and this is what I don't like about a lot of people now. Everyone bigs themselves up. Yep. They did the hardest thing. No, exactly. You know, like Bollocks. fucking hell, when they went through training there to knit their own socks. Yeah, yeah. Like, just, like, don't get me wrong, it was tough, and I'm not downplaying it. Yeah, of course. It, it was fucking hard, but of course it is. I'm, I was fucking rowing the Atlantic. We're rowing yeah, the Atlantic, yeah. like. Yeah, yeah. It, no, yeah. No, I completely agree, mate. Yeah. But you've got to be careful who you speak to, basically, is what I'm saying. But if you speak to the right oh, people yeah. like me and Mitch, you'll be rowing the, land, the yeah, Atlantic next will, December. Yeah. I mean, definitely, if you speak to me, I'm, I always get. <laughs> Oh, mate, for being the most optimistic bloke in the world, right there. That's the, but that is the whole point of like why I done it, why I'm doing this big expedition. Like soon, the whole one of the main reasons is for like family and friends is to literally get that point out of saying you anyone can do anything. Yeah. That is the point I'm trying to get out. You haven't got to be people like you know say to me. They probably say you must be superhuman, like fit. You I can no, tell you now, mate. I'm looking yeah, at exactly. Mitch. He's built like the side of a fiver. Exactly. <laughs> built like, yeah, maybe a tenner, mate. Come on, maybe the side of a tenner. But no, yeah. but that's true. It's like people just society has kind of brought us into this mindset. That's kind of you know society's just kind of conditioned everyone into a mindset that of, of what, what limits them on a massive level you know but people just need to put that to one side and just realize that don't don't just think it's hard because you someone said to you you can't you can't do it if you believe it if you want to do it you can literally do anything that's Mitch, part of the point I 100% agree mate I couldn't agree yeah. more because I was not a gifted athlete at all. I mean, don't get me wrong, I was always fit and yeah. I was a bit strong and, you know, my physical attributes were all right, but I was yeah. awful football, awful at, like, any sort of sport. Yeah. But just tried really hard and I honestly believe the majority of people couldn't do anything yeah. they want to as long as they put their mind to it. Yeah, of course. But like That's you said, point. we've been conditioned to think, oh, no, we can't. Yeah. Like, I never river rode. You'd never river rode before. No, no, of course not. And then you go and row the Atlantic. Yeah. It's just because in the mindset, up here, it probably comes from... Yeah. Well, you know, both did commando training. Yeah, yeah. But your yardstick is constantly getting moved. Yeah, we've got an advantage and we've had that kind of, because that is it. That exposure it, yeah. to... It's the mental... Hardship. Yeah, the hardship. That's it. It's, it's resilience. You, you, you learn to do it. We, we've, we're only better at it because we've done it more. Mm. You know, all resilience is, is someone's ability to strategically manage pain. Yeah. And we've just... I love that, man. And we've learned... That's actually Ross from Ross Edgley. To know quite we like, yeah. a legend, that is Ross. Um, nah, nah. It's you, it's you Mitch. It's yeah, you, it's Mitch. Not, podcast listen to that twice on the road um yeah absolute legend but that's the obviously the way he put it and it's it's such a i was like that i listened to it again it's like across the united states when things got really hard it's all about resilience and people once you learn you just have a loads of different channels of, of reserves of what to tap into you know what motivates you to do it and you just tap into all these channels and you just get better at it you learn what channels to tap into and you just learn to strategically manage that that pain better and that's what you go through but People that haven't been exposed to it. If you don't put yourself in the hard position and challenge yourself, you're never gonna progress mentally or physically. That's what I'm saying. Ninety-nine percent is 
mental, 1%. Yeah, I'm not saying you can be 20 stone and go and do an ultramarathon tomorrow. Anyone can do anything they can. But the point is, yes, you can. It will take a bit longer than someone that's not that's an athlete already, but you can literally do the exact same thing that that person can do. The only difference is you've just got a bit more work in. No, mate, that's awesome. So you get to Barbados. Yeah. Tell, tell me about uh, how that was, mate. It was just surreal, really. Any family out there? Um, no, it was COVID, obviously. You know, oh, hard. it was a bit of a pain in the ass. My mum was meant to come over, but I don't think the idiot didn't get a passport sorted in time. That may have been <laughs> what happened there. Um, but mum, no, if but you're no, listening. Yeah. Did you? Did you have yours? Yeah, yeah I was really lucky, I was mate. Say, so on, yeah. I probably had, about, I think, about 30 people come to the finish. Good, oh, that's awesome. That yeah. are, mate. Absolutely incredible. And that makes such a difference. But at that point, it didn't ruin it. At yeah. All. You know no, it did. Like, that feeling when you first It just off, enhances yeah. it, mate. Yeah. When we got off, quite annoying, didn't get to set off a flare because we were coming in a bit too fast. But, um, but no, we got around the corner and there was good, like, um, people, a few people meeting us there, like, uh, family, a couple of the guys had their family there as well, their family there, and there was a few locals and obviously the people who were supporting us, a few people that lived there as well, so, but at that point, obviously, you just don't care, it was amazing. We got off, obviously couldn't walk for, like, three days. Um, was it really that bad for you boys? Two, well, about two days, yeah, 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 well, for, like, for the first... Day definitely, you couldn't, yeah. they couldn't walk in a straight line, and then oh, yeah, I was definitely that, but but then for this, for the next kind of 48 hours, it was like you know, you would be obviously just we'd be all, we'd walking and fall into a wall, so the way, yeah, yeah, yeah like, exactly. Like and it's because like, I, I saw a guy get carried off his boat once, and I, I always thought that's a bit much because when I got off my dung and wrong, I was, I was all yeah, over the place, of course, it wouldn't say we didn't get um, carried, we, we, we literally got given the beer straight away, and yeah, had to, had to be like just shoulder, shoulder escorted by some each, you know, each of us had an escort, like to kind of carry, not carry us, but yeah. to support us because obviously the, it's the pontoon's thin, tiny little pontoon, it's wooden pontoon, it's like probably 50 years old, you know, nearly fell in a few times. But um, but you didn't, and that's the main thing. Yeah, no, exactly. Yeah, I jumped in, dived in. That was good because because <laughs> um, I, I hadn't even been in across the whole row. You know, a lot of people do. Um, Connor had been the one to get in to do the barnacles and stuff like that, and and um, ironically, I hadn't even jumped in once. How come you didn't jump in? I, I just I think at the time it, I can't remember the exact reasons why we didn't because I was always excited for it, and and uh, when there was wildlife around that we really wanted to see, conditions were too bad to even consider jumping in. You know, okay. it has to be the right conditions. And that, and um, I was just, I never forget, like, yeah, well, the first thing I did was just dive in. And it was like, oh, this is... Mate, it's pucker dicey. I remember once I chucked my parachute anchor in and you meant to deploy the parachute anchor facing the wind so it, yeah, yeah, and, and yeah. you get pushed away from it. In the madness, I just chucked it in and my boat had gone straight over it. Yeah. Wrap the retrieval line round the oh, rudder, man. so I've had to jump in to get it out. Boat up and down like that because that's another thing people don't realise. If that boat lands on your head, it's probably about a ton. Oh, like yeah, it'll knock cool. you out and you'll drown. Oh yeah, on and your no one, you've got no chance. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, at least with a team of four, someone might see and drag you out. So yeah, that was pretty gnarly. So it's a shame you didn't get to jump in, but I understand why yeah. you didn't jump in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just because conditions, we were just unlucky most of the time. Um, well, when we did want to jump in. Uh, but no, yeah, but it was amazing. Never forget getting escorted over to the restaurant and having the first meal in like in nearly well, what did seven you have? weeks. Double bacon cheeseburger. Same, so yeah. good. Double bacon cheeseburger and like in the you know really high end, high end um, restaurant. You know, in the in the yacht in the yacht club after after nearly fifty days of pure military rations and obviously. What that does to your body is uh, is quite interesting. Some of the poos are pretty bad. Well, they? after two weeks, obviously they're designed for, they're designed to clog you up. They're designed to constipate you, so you leave less ground site. That's what they're designed for. So after we're going to too much detail, obviously, but after about two weeks, the remaining after two or three weeks, the remaining like month or so, everyone was very having very painful 
Pooses, put it that way. And um, yeah. Did you just have military rations? Uh, we had like a few little supplements that we had, like cracked into every now and again. Um, but, mo- but like 90% of it was, yeah, was dry pack, dehydrated rations. And uh, yeah, so a few like, yeah, like salamis and things like that. And halfway point, we had a little goodie pack given to us by um, the lads. And, nice. Um, yeah. Do you know one of the f- things? So I had like cans of Noco. Yeah. But the thing is, the problem with cans oh, is, nice. so Chris Martin was like, yeah, make sure you take a couple of cans of Coke. Yeah. Anyone listening to this that's about to row an ocean, yeah. don't take cans. Mm, wait, probably as well. Well, not not wait. So by the time I'd got to nearer the finish, like 80 days, a lot of the cans had lost the majority of their fluid. Oh, right. Okay. I don't know how it happens, but they like decompress oh. or whatever. The fizz goes, even though they're perfectly sealed. Yeah. So you imagine that you've been looking forward for a knocko for Never 80 days. Yeah. And then you crack it and it's literally like a quarter. Oh, it was no, awful, mate. But bottles, I used to say, I used to have a um, Rubicon. Oh, one yeah, Rubicon yeah, a week. Yeah, oh, Rubicon. mate. Nice. Too good. Too good. That was good. Now, we had like the little mini spirit bottles. We had like, when we cracked that half, when we got to like the 1,000 mile point or the 1,500 mile point, yeah, cracked open the uh, the tin peaches and the uh, little bottle of whiskey, little bottle of vodka. And, and, yeah. <laughs> Obviously, even one shot of that at the way you're feeling yeah where in you know we burnt but we burn seven thousand calories a day each and like you can feel it straight away <laughs> yeah like, oh that feels good better not have too many of them it's funny i had a beer at the halfway point and it was fuck boiling up mate i remember oh, yeah, having yeah, like yeah. half i was like yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Poured up, poured up a bit yeah. away i won't name the brand no. um but that wasn't enough for you mate rowing the atlantic was it because then start, mate, yeah. you were just straight on to your cycle across America, mate. Yeah, so that's, but the row is probably where it all started. I've always had that in my mind, the bonkers things. It's, as I say, it started when I was, well, way before that, when I was really young. Like, I, I when I was 15, I saved up and flew to Africa on my own. I just turned 16 and climbed Kilimanjaro. That was the first thing I, I ever did. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah, it's one of the youngest people to ever climb it on my own, as in solo, without, yeah. without a group or anything like that. Yeah. Uh, so that kind of got it started. And then two years after that, I was off Everest Base Camp. Um, I was 18 and then since then I've just loads of other little stuff but it's always been in my mind but the Marines definitely accentuated that accelerated that desire that adventure you know and um, but then obviously when I was free of it I was like what like this is the first time I was like 27 obviously first time I've been first time I've not been kind of told where, where I can go and what I can do since I was 21 so it was like possibilities are endless now but it was that row that obviously 24 hours a day, well, 12 hours a day, you're thinking, you've got so much time to think and plan. That's when we us sitting there talking talking with Connor about it and never, never forget. That's where it all kind of come about. Rowing, rowing away, I was thinking, it'd be really cool to cycle across the United States just on my own, kind of thinking what, about training. What do you think about this? So, I say he gave me like a bit of inspiration, but cycling the circumference of America. Yeah, yeah definitely. That's because awesome. I would yeah. count it this out, I think it's 34. Yeah. But just going and ticking off all the all states, states yeah, yeah. I only yeah. managed to go off eight in the end, but, um, but that's still that's mad that you cycled how many miles? Um, it was over three thousand. It worked out just under five thousand kilometers. So through through Florida, Alabama, Mississippi, Mississippi, Louisiana, Texas. Well, Texas is so big though, it isn't it? Yeah. Three times the size of the UK, and I was literally came in from one end and it uh, and entered in Louisiana and at the, the entire width of it. So I was in Texas for like ten days. Because just just that just Texas alone was further than John O'Groats to Land's End. Yeah. Just that one state, and it was like I was like, God, I've been here for a long time. But yeah, then New Mexico, Arizona, and California. So, yeah. But all the ideas of they all originated from the boat, from the mail was yeah. just laying there rowing. I remember speaking because my dream was always we're going to the other big one later. Was always Everest and climbing that, and um, that mountaineering has always been a massive part of, part of what I love. And um, so I was always going to do it. 
from sea level but um but then when we were talking about I was talking to him about how to make it bonkers and so the original idea what we're going to hear soon is literally came from that boat just thinking yeah. about how can we make this just nuts and then um, but the cycle across America I always wanted to do because only having really been over there with, with the military which I had I really wanted to 29 do. Palms yeah, and, Vegas for yeah, and New York New York and that I've been to East Coast with work and stuff as well and, and things like that but I just wanted to see I was like not only would it be great training for what I'm doing next which is half the reason why I've done it also I was just thinking the deep south redneck cowboy country like what better way to experience America is just to cycle on your own through like Alabama Louisiana through the swamp lands and the deserts and the ranches yeah. and uh, it lived up to every dream lived up to everything you can imagine it was just bonkers running over alligators getting attacked by dogs tornadoes sandstorms luckily not what were the people like guns. amazing best people like haven't been to the east and west coast people in the south America different different league the, you know you've probably heard the hospitality of the south you know before uh, southern hospitality and it's oh it's amazing i mean i would have had a heck of a harder time without the people that i met along the way I'd, i had 17 punctures you know for example and a couple of them were like bad and irreparable on the side of the road so i got picked up a couple of times taken to a bike shop brought back that kind of thing you know and or taken to their home to help sort it out and come back again and uh just people giving up their beds you know people buying your dinner I'd, I'd literally be rocking up at a, at a gas station at a petrol station the people like in florida they'd be like oh, wait, where are you heading they'll be like california they'd be like what here's a hundred dollars and they just give me a hundred dollars cash no or, way or pretty much guaranteed if i was having a meal and i'd got and i'd started speaking to someone and they asked what i was doing you wouldn't be paying for your meal it never happens but um so very lucky in that respect so save quite a bit of money on that yeah, aspect i can imagine but um, yeah, it what, was just they're just amazing people. What would be your advice for someone that wants to cycle across America? Because I've heard the roads are quite dicey. They can be, yeah. I mean, advice would be like, avoid the freeways as much as you can, like I did. Stick to the highways and small roads. Because obviously, surely you can't go on the freeway now. Not most of them, um, and I didn't know you could go on freeways. You can go on some on a push bike. Yes, it depends where you are. So, for example, in 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 most places, if you're coming in and out of cities or urban areas is impossible pretty much but um it got to a point when i was in west texas in the middle of the desert um nothing to be seen for for hundreds of miles really um and the i-10 which is one of the big main highway freeways over there um there was no ever really there was no route that avoided the freeway and then i googled it and actually spoke to a couple of locals and they and essentially um in texas a push bike can go on the free can go on the freeway, but at that point, so a freeway is obviously our motorway. A freeway is our motorway, and the highways are our A roads essentially. Mm. And I still was stuck to the A roads or B roads or smaller roads, trying to get more of an experience. As yeah, well. mate, for me, yeah, it wasn't 100%. about it wasn't about going like a million miles an hour. It was about experience. And it's, you know, as cliche as it sounds, it's not about the destination; it's about the journey. Mm. It, it really is, you know. So, but I was still averaging 140, 150 kilometers a day, six out of seven days a week, nonstop. Yeah, which was still like you know, and, and that's a fair. It was, yeah, saddle, what, was that six I'm hours a day? Eight, eight to ten. So, eight to I ten, mean, yeah. it would be a nice pace. I had all my, all my weight, every single bit, completely unsupported, obviously, every single bit of weight I was carrying myself, the tent, the food, the repair kit, all the clothes, all my clothing, um, like five different bags on the on the bike. So, the, you know, I didn't average massive speed, but that's what it was about. I'd yeah. wake, up, wake up at six, seven a.m. and I'd be cycling, cycling eight o'clock in the morning till five o'clock in the evening, basically like a working shift every yeah. day. But anything between eight, eight and ten hours every single day, just... It's like going to work, get, and then you can have a beer when you finish, which I did. Yeah. That's the whole point, and it was amazing. Um, so I'm not a cyclist, but doing that was a big eye opener, that's for sure. That sounds, mate, one hell of an adventure. What's going? What would be your advice? I asked you sort of a couple of questions. Oh, my advice: just just take it easy and avoid the big roads, like I say. Um, 
just probably plan ahead a bit more than I did in some instances. Um, not that you needed to, because I was just flipping between wild camping in forests and under bridges and, and in motels and other days and stuff, because you can't plan that much ahead anyway, because you never know how far you're going to get that day. If your body's going to break something or you're going to twist something or you're going to have a puncture, you can't really plan that much. So best advice would be just go over there with an open mind, Yeah, really, and just except like you know things won't go exactly as, as they planned but that's half the point i can't know what happened with me and it was a little bit mad just be just i'd say just be um very just be very wary of the of the roads that's what i say Overall, wear a helmet very good 100 percent. i did i've never never didn't wear a helmet yeah. which was quite you know um but yeah when a lorry when a truck comes past you at like 80 miles an hour it's pretty it pitch pitch black in el paso next to the mexican border it's a bit like oh god a bit crazy here. Um, yeah, it's uh, squeaky bum time. Yeah, a little bit, but um, yeah, just take lots of take lots of like cream. Yeah, <laughs> obviously, not that I had any issues really, but just a few. I'd say take lots of cream, take lots of painkillers. A big bit of advice would be take obviously get regular kind of sports massages if you can. Yeah, and that kind of thing. I was trying to have one every like once a week or something. Most mm. of the time they were free, which was quite good. That's amazing. Yeah, really I good. Really did it. Um, I was having ice baths every single motel I was in. The ice machines they have in America, every single hotel will be having ice baths, full-blown ice baths for, for that. So I would just say, just take your time and obviously do your recovery properly. And How much did that on. whole expedition cost you? Probably about f- five grand or something. I paid for most of it myself. Again, yeah. I got a bit of money given by um, a couple of people and um, who was, I was thankful about. But a lot of it um, was just kind of out my own pocket. But yeah. all, all raising money for the charity that I'm now fully partnered with like as in fundraising for them and I'm now part of the team it's, they're amazing so how long did it take you in total uh, for America that was six weeks six weeks yeah it was I've actually finished five days quicker than what I thought because um, I had to get to I had to be in California by a certain date because I had to fly to Australia to meet my mum for a 60th birthday so I was like right I've got, I've got a time limit here um, so I actually probably went a bit faster than I wanted to cause, um, and I ended up finishing like six seven days before my flight out, which was quite good because annoyingly you have to obviously book your outbound flight when you first enter the United States. You have to book your outbound flight. You have to have an outward ticket. So do you? Yeah. So it was annoying because I didn't know how long it would take. It could take me five weeks. Could take me eight. Could take me four weeks. Could take me eight weeks. You know. So Did you go like, over oh. on an Esther? Uh, yeah. Yeah. It was just a standard Esther. Yeah. I knew I was going to be there for longer than a few ninety months, ninety know. days. Yeah, exactly. And so yeah, but in the end, just six weeks essentially. Um, six weeks having pretty much every one day off a week just to stretch and recover and then cracking on. But yeah. um, stopping off in good places like New Orleans and places like that and it, Texas, oh, great places. But yeah, it was a good cuff, put it yeah, that way. It was cuff. a full cuff, but it was, let's just say, an organised cuff. Yeah. You know, things in, like, you wing things in life. Semi-cuff. It was a semi-cuff. What, um, whatever happened to the bike? It's actually in my sister's garage in Sydney. Oh, so you shipped it back? Yeah. Flew well, it back. well, it would have cost about 800 bucks to $800 to have it shipped. Well, however, it was less than 25 kilos, so so from Los Angeles to Sydney, it cost nothing <laughs> because it was classed as my. Because obviously, I didn't have a bag. I only had my back. I only had my 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 ten dollar backpack, Vans backpack. I got from a thrift shop in LA. So all I had to check in was my um, was my bag, was my bike in this in the box, which even though it was big, it was under 25 kilos, so yeah. it was just counted as my checked luggage, and I got it for free. So it's just still sat in the garage now. <laughs> to live on, I'm sure, another adventure round yeah, cycling yeah, round Australia. It. Well, yeah, well, whether or not I bring it back for the next expedition, I'm not too sure, but it'll be a good backup bike, that's for sure. Yeah, definitely, yeah. definitely. So um, the next expedition, mate, and the one I think you're most excited to talk about, tell us. Um, yeah, so it's, it's, again, something that I thought about whilst rowing, and... Uh, I was thinking, how can I make um, something just that's 
bigger than anything they've ever done really but still realistic so um, essentially it's the world's what will be the world's longest triathlon it's actually a four stage event so a swim cycle jog run slash hike and then a climb so it's a 12,000 kilometer journey starting starting with swimming across the channel so swimming swimming in this channel and then uh, from the channel I'm hopping on the bike in Calais and cycling 10,000 kilometers from France to West Bengal in India to sea level to a little town called Digger near um near Calcutta and then from there ditching the bike and there's a uh, about 30 back-to-back marathons just over 900 kilometers from there to Kathmandu on foot so it'll be a speed march slash jog it'll be on foot um as quick as I can basically you know probably out I'm looking to average say about a marathon distance a day yeah um and then probably a bit of a breather <laughs> in um in Kathmandu because um, again, it's not a time trial. It's about showing that you can anything's possible in the long game. You know, it's a proper endurance event. Um, from Kathmandu, it's about a 350 kilometer trek climb from from Kathmandu to essentially Everest Base Camp trek to Everest itself, and then climbing Everest to the summit, all in one five month gigantic um, expedition. Essentially, mate, that's yeah. awesome. Yeah. So. I think it's amazing, mate. A lot of people probably ask why. Yeah, that's everyone's um, reaction is the same. Yeah, like, why? What the hell? But what I want to know is the logistics of an expedition yeah. like this, because yeah. this is what people don't see, no, don't they appreciate. Don't, they don't, no, it's it's get, like I said, getting to the start line of anything is is the, is the hard part. Getting to the start line of this, especially, is the hard part. The only reason this has become such a reality in the last month is mainly just because the support of a few really, really, really important people that, I, that I've got. Yeah, like this, I was always going to do this, but it was also, I thought it would take a bit longer with the logistics and things. But um, having a call with um, Elite Expeditions and Nims, Nims Diperger, um, they called me up basically saying that they're fully behind me for this entire expedition, which changed things a lot. Because when they come to getting sponsorship from companies, which you already have a lot of interest in, when you approach them with that kind of backing, it, 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 gives a lot more favour to yourself essentially mm. and then having spoken to multiple people within my charity who are supporting me um, I, I, realize, I realize the level of support I have so the charity itself we're talking government ministers former generals um, and people like, like this yeah. uh, it's probably a good time yeah. to mention the charity so what charity are you raising money for so it's called SAVSIM yep. um, which is a charity set up a few years ago um, quite small but amazing um, charity which focuses on mental health veterans mental health for people that are leaving and basically in transition from leaving the military and struggling with mental health issues and but also the two part the second part is wildlife conservation so anti-poaching so they support like um, dozens of wild wildlife projects around the world especially like in africa so they've got these five countries they currently operate in um, training ranges anti-poaching um, but i say but then in the uk they also support a lot of veterans who have been struggling so they have a partnership with london zoo with zsl london zoo and they run several courses a year hoping to we're hoping to well two courses at the moment hoping to really increase that so they run courses that are partnered with london zoo bringing veterans who are struggling in and doing therapeutic courses i think courses it's called johnny them. mercer yeah johnny mercer was down there our, yeah that's it johnny mercer they say the veterans minister is one of the one of our biggest supporters. Yeah, yeah so he was in London Zoo. I've, yeah. So I've seen the program you're talking about. It, yeah. it looks really good. Yeah, yeah, um, it's really good. And it's work. It's working really well. It's working amazing. Just seeing great results and great results, psychological results from from all the participants. You know, and it's hoping to just by doing this, by raising as much as we can on my expedition, will increase the number of courses that can be run. You know, and then with the 
missions with the efforts in Africa in places like that we will be able to train hundreds more rangers and just be, give us the resources to just help so many more people and it's not just the military like they just had the first female police officer on the course as well who got massively helped by the course includes stuff like like therapeutic yoga art 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 that kind of thing and just working with the animals and and the environment and nature as well so it's just two kind of things for me which I'm mega passionate about like I say yeah wildlife yeah wildlife conservation and mental health and mental health yeah the fact that it kind of ties them two together and and works kind of links them two and works together within them two is is amazing that's why I like it and that's why I do all these things all these things for them now nah mate it's a fucking alley expedition mate I wish I could join you mate (laughs) but obviously the knee yeah Um, well by then you're probably about to see some part yeah yeah that's part of the thing it's um, I've got so many people doing various stages with Mm. me whether it's part of the cycle, a few days. Yeah, what I want to know is the cycle. So talk me through, have you inquired yeah, about course, visas? Cause yeah, yeah. so the route, takes, what you route? Through, like, yeah, it takes you through Europe, essentially. I won't lay off all the countries, but through Europe, um, Germany. The bit I want to know about is once we go through yes, Turkey. Yeah, everyone wants to know that bit, yeah. So that's obviously the main bit, which has caused the most issues. Um, the route is still obviously under review because politically things change all the time. Um, but if it's essentially, it's the, south, the southeast border of Turkey. It's Iran and Pakistan. Iran and Pakistan into India. They're the two question marks at the moment, just in terms of exactly where the crossing is going to be and the visas. But um, obviously, as I say, with the talks we've had, I've had with the charity and people within, um, that's you know, it's realistic and it's and it's just going to be a case of where exactly we cross into. Um, like one of the supporters of the charity, for example, knows lots of people around in in the government level, um, so we'll be able to help a lot with knowing where to go exactly and so when we arrive they're expecting us yeah. you know and it's not going to be a case of I'm just winging this and we turn up yeah because you, know, you can't wing something no, like that and no. I don't know if you've heard of something because Oscar brought me on to it a guy you rode with the Mongol rally yeah the Mongol rally yeah. so people can go through Iran <laughs> yeah. um, I've just done a bit of research just before the podcast yeah exactly it's quite hard to find out like because there's no you type in American visa and it's yeah, like, like click like, here. Yeah, yeah. It's, Whereas it's harder when it comes to Iranian. It is harder. It is harder. But like I say, with the right support and enough time, um, that's the that's the, kind of the, one of the main logis- logistical efforts because most of the way across Europe and things like that. Um, as I say, the cycle across America was just was just over, well, pretty much bang on half the distance of what I'm going to be doing. So I know I know I know physically, mentally, logistically, oh, sweet. no problem. Is and especially across Europe, no problem. Even though I'm going to be doing it myself, we'll probably have a support vehicle as well for a lot of it. Even though I'm going to carry all my kit and make f- for more of the challenge, um, it's, it's, especially when we get to Turkey, for example, probably we'll have a support. Vessel. Vessel. I was thinking about the, the swim now. Yeah. Because obviously I've just had the pilot booked. So the, oh, have the you? first stage of this, it's so many logistics. The first mm. stage is having to book the channel swim with the Federation and booking a, a vessel to be your escort. You know, so many things involved. But that's now sort When do you qualify and swim? Um, anytime within like six months before. You just have okay. to swim six hours in the cold water, essentially. Oh, really? So going through that, I was going through it quickly. Yeah. So the swims. Mate, you'd have to go through it quickly. <laughs> Take your time, yeah, brother. Yeah, yeah. So that's just the first stage, obviously, the swim. Which probably re- relies probably it's going to require the most training, essentially because it's the first part, the toughest. I'm a good swimmer, but however, swimming the channel is 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 tough. It's a lick it's swimming, a lick, mate. Before yeah. my injury, I was training yes. up my swimming. Yeah, of course you were. You know I what wanted, it's like. Yeah, I wanted to do a twelve. And even the technique in open water swimming is completely different. I've only yeah. ever done a couple of like one open water swim actually. What blows my mind is so when I was doing that ultra marathon last year, is I can run zone two. Yeah for like eight hours eight hours 20 minutes i think it took me to do 65k or whatever yeah exactly and it's and it's fine mm. but swimming for an hour yeah 
Like, and just because as soon as I start swimming, it's like I'm sprinting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. that's what you've got to learn. You've got to be efficient through the yeah, water. Like, and lazy is my. It's lazy. My, it's all uh, about technique, isn't it? Isn't what my swimming coach so yeah. told me. Lazy, efficient, and it's just technique, breathing. That's it. Once you can, and obviously getting used to the cold. So I'm really looking forward to getting into the real nitty gritty part starts of the train, but you know, parts of the training when it comes to swimming the channel. But um, I'm confident, like I say, and that's why people say, yeah, it's impossible. You do it. Most people train their life to like, or like, just, well, swim, just, just to swim, swim the, the channel. channel. Most people swim, train their life just to do every, most, you know, or just to do that. And I'm trying to do all of it in one, but that's what I mean. When you, it sounds big, but this is the, again, message I'm trying to get across to people. When you compartmentalize, your life, anything you want to achieve, you can compartmentalize it, break it down, never think of the whole picture. Before we're in the Atlantic, if you think of 3,000 miles of open ocean, 5,000 miles of open ocean, it's not reality. You think of one day, you think of day one, let's get through day one, let's get through day two, let's get to the quarter point, let's get to the half point. So funny you say That's that, it. mate. So when I was rowing, because I had to row down to the Canaries yeah. and then across. Yeah, you came down to us, didn't you? Before you so I used to look at the distance to my final waypoint and it just didn't go down in miles because obviously I wasn't getting yeah, closer. Yeah, exactly. I yeah. was just going... You were going, yeah, exactly. Yeah, I was just heading south. Yeah, we had, that, we had that for a little bit, obviously. Not to, not as long as you, but we we have to go parallel with the with the west coast of Africa before going across as yeah. well. But you, yeah, that must have been really oh, mate, demoralizing. You know. But you're so right. You just break it down day That's at a time. That's what I mean. I'm not, it's not just... That is anyone, any challenge anyone wants to do, you know, the whole thing, when you think of the whole picture, it becomes very overwhelming. Whereas I, my mindset I have now, I know I can do this. I know I can swim the channel with enough training. I know the bike ride, I've already done over half of it, and I know I can physically do it. It's just logistical parts now that we're ironing out. I know the, the, the jog, I know I can, the jogs and trek, the combination of the two I can do, because I've, I've, I've done that distance, a marathon distance, for a week before, you know. In, across mountains across hills and as well as other stuff I know that with the training again I can do that and it's just so the only kind of part left is the Everest, Everest itself which is already the preparation is already underway I'm climbing um, Abu Dhabi in October, October yeah. with Nims himself and the, which is going to be amazing so the technical training there as well as another as, as well as another expedition before next summer as well um, so by the time it comes around it looks on paper yeah I know it's, it is crazy however yeah, you compartmentalize the last things and even stuff that seems impossible becomes possible. No, amazing, mate. I love the attitude. Yeah, how does know. having NIMS and Elite Expeds on your side, how has that helped? Because so, you said uh, the last month has so been not mental. Only, yeah, that, that's kind of the thing that tweaked it for it to become a reality. So not only from a logistical standpoint in terms of getting sponsorship and the publicity that it's bringing to it and helping with the charity, it's going to help raise the money. It's going to give funders faith now they're going to want to invest not only because it's with them and such a well-known brand but more it's more logistical side of things like there as soon as i cross the border into india i've got their full support in terms of hope and find accommodation like the route guides everything the permit so the whole latter stage of the expedition now is 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 very much i haven't got to worry about it it's it's in the best hands that you could ever hope for you know and my life is in the best hands that i could ever hope for being with not just Nims but his entire team, you know, Mingma, all the all the Sherpa, all all of his team, they're all absolute legends. Being with them is just gonna I'm not not only gonna be so honoured, it means that the actual a lot of the work that I've had, that would have would have had to stress about beforehand is is gonna be is gonna be in the best hands possible. Like I say, so now it's just and now now it's become realistic because of their sport basically. Yeah, no, they are um, much more realistic. Yeah, yeah, no, they are a great operator. Great I've, team. Got, I've got a friend, believe it or not, who is actually. Nims dies brother-in-law. Oh, amazing! Yeah, so we actually served together at Two Four Commander, yeah. Yeah, and he's got go. yeah. You'll probably meet him, mate. Um, TJ, 
yeah, great guy, and he's just left the army to go and work for Nims, mate. So you'll get oh, to, to work him. for him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He yeah. works for Elite Expect. Yeah, he? yeah, he does. Oh, there you go. Yeah. There you go. I ask for a job after. I've done yeah, I've done a mate, of you jammy bastard. Yeah, no, that's no, what no, I used no, to no. say to him as well. Yeah, yeah. Um, no, yeah, that's good, mate. Really enjoyed speaking to you. Where can people follow this journey? Um, so the website's actually just been launched today, um, which has everything on it: um, the blog, the about all the details about the route, the events page, when things are coming up. That is 12,000k to everest.com. 12,000k to everest.com. Yeah, I'm going to have to double check that. I have a 12,000k to everest.com. <laughs> and what about your Instagram, brother? And uh, there is one well, that's just come out, but at the moment, uh, it's, if you just followed my Instagram and all the stories updated on there, and there's all, even a link to the Instagram page, which is solely for the expedition, which has just been created. So uh, mine is Mitch, with two H's, um, underscore 1893. So Mitch, yeah, Mitch, Mitch1893 Mitch with two H's. Um, but also, like I say, the website is just um, 12,000k to Everest. But the project is called Limitless. 12,000k awesome, to Everest mate. because that's half the point. But I yeah, absolutely love it and I can't wait. And I'm sure I'll probably have you on just before you go, mate. Yeah, mate, no worries. Definitely, mate, definitely. Um, but my final question, mate, for you is if you could give yourself, a younger you, some advice, what would it be? Um, probably the one that most people say, but it's so true, just... Work hard, and anything you do is is not is never going to be out of your reach. You know, no matter what you think might be might be impossible, is it's possible. No, I might, I might sound cheesy, but it's true. You know, as, as it young, is true, as young, like we said at the start kid, of the pod. As a young kid, you limit yourself. You know, you think, kind of, you know, but just you got once you once you look once you really dig deep. Just I tell myself. You're limitless, basically, and that's the whole point. That's what we're trying to say, mate. I love it, guys. That is the end of today's episode. If you enjoyed it, please could you like, follow, and subscribe as it really helps grow the podcast. Thank you for listening, Mitch. Pleasure, Thanks, love mate. that, brother, mate. On, mate. Thank you ever so much for coming down, mate. Nice.